guys, welcome back to Tap.az Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Walters. This episode is sponsored by the Arizona Craft Brewers Guild. So the Guild is a not-for-profit organization, and their goal is to further the understanding and appreciation of the Arizona craft brewing industry and to maintain the quality and image of the beer produced through education of consumers, retailers, distributors, and brewers. So they also have a huge legislative impact over the years. They've done some really great things to basically fight for your right to party. So check them out at chooseazbrews.com. This is where you can find every guild member brewery, including ones that are in the process of opening, as well as buy tickets for all of their events, including upcoming BrewCon, which is Friday, July 26th, and Real Wild and Woody, which is Saturday, July 27th. So, we actually have two tickets to give away this week for Real Wild and Woody. To enter, simple. Email me at eric, that's E-R-I-C, at tapthataz.com with the subject line, I want a ticket. Two winners are going to be selected at random this Friday the 19th and notified via email that they want a ticket. So make sure, check your emails for emails from eric at tapthataz.com. So in this episode, head over to the newest brewery in Phoenix over on Washington to have a beer with Walter Station founder and brewer Jim Erickson. If you haven't been to this place, make sure you put it on your short, immediate to-do list. Not only are the beers kick ass, but this tap room is really cool too. It's an old fire station. So let's tap into Walter Station. So we're on uh, Washington, right? Washington Street Avenue. Washington Boulevard. Street. Washington Street. Okay. Washington Street. We're at Walter Station. I got Jim with me. Jim, thanks for joining, man. Well, thank you for even having an interest in us, as new <laughs> as we are. It's, uh, yes. it's nice to have anybody interested in us at all. Yeah. No, man. I, I've been excited about this for a while because I know that um, uh, you're good friends with Luis, uh, Luis Herrera. Yes, that's how I'm known as I'm I'm known in the industry as Luis's friend. <laughs> Luis's friend. You know, uh, that guy that works with Luis, you know? Yeah, right, exactly. So, uh yeah, we're at Walter Station, man. I love I love this place. Um I love the building and I think when you guys were in the process of opening, uh we met for a beer at Ren House um and just kind of chatted about I mean, I'm sure I was one of like a thousand people you were talking to during that time period of opening a brewery right <laughs> yes there are many many people yeah yeah so you're um so we'll go back a little bit um so you're a home brewer right i was i was a home brewer. We, you don't get to do that after you start brewing <laughs> right. right it's like if you do what do they say if you do what you love you never work a day in your life but then when you do what you love and you turn it into a job then it's work right yeah, there's some there's some truth to that. You know, these people that say if you if you love what you do, you never work again the rest of your life. I don't know if that's true. I mean, it's still work, is it sure. not? Yeah, it's still work. You just enjoy working. That's all. Exactly. So to to think that it's like you're on vacation or something like that might be uh, may not be uh, the absolute truth. But recipe for disaster if that is the mentality. Right. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, so you haven't always owned a brewer. You haven't always been a brewer by trade. So what what did you what did you do before you guys opened up? Um, it's a hot you know, mic. Careful, careful. Right. Yeah. No, I was I was in sales for for many many years. Okay. Um, I worked in the sign industry primarily. 
Uh, it's a it's an odd industry to say the least, but uh, like most are actually once you get to know them. Sign um, as in like uh, signs as in outdoor signs, uh, oh. signs on a billboard signs. A, well, or? not necessarily billboards, but okay. more like you know Toyota or Ford oh, dealerships gotcha. or, okay. or or CVS pharmacy or Walgreens or Bank of America or something like that. Gotcha. Um, anytime they would put up a location, we sold at the corporate level, or I should say, I sold at the corporate level. And what I did is I worked with a corporation in, in putting together an entire sign package that would work for all of their locations across the country. Okay. So I wasn't selling, you know, a sign to, you know, sell the local pizza owner because uh, there's not much money in that. <clears throat> but, if you, uh, but if you're selling at a corporate level, um, it's, it's really actually a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, you get to work with a lot of cool, cool and interesting people. Yeah. Interesting. So I did that for many, many years, spent a lot of time in in uh, a lot of different uh, corporate offices around the country uh, and even more time in airports and car rental lines. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Which, uh, and you got a lot of downtime in, in those type of situations, right? Yeah, I call it standing in line. Everybody always calls yeah. it, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody always calls it uh, something that is, you know, or thinking that rather that, that uh, uh, travel is glamorous. Yeah. Uh, travel is glamorous when you're doing it for sport, okay, yeah. <laughs> or when you're doing it for sure. vacation. Uh, travel for business isn't necessarily all that much fun because you spend an awful lot of time standing in line, oh, you know, at waiting. the airport, at security, waiting for your car, waiting to check into your hotel, yeah. uh, and the list goes on and on and on. And so that's really what you end up doing. It's a lot of, a lot of wasted time for that 10 or 15 minutes with a customer. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Because you meet with them. It's not like, okay, let's spend the next three days together. Right. It's like, dude, you have from 1030 to 1045. What do you got? That's, <laughs> yeah. you, you get limited audience. And yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so how did you get into, um, into beer? Like, how did you get into, well, first of all, just drinking craft beer? Well, <clears throat> as I take my sip, um, I am a cook by nature. Okay. Not professionally. Nobody would ever pay for my food, believe me. <laughs> um, but what I, what I do like to do is I like to feed people. I come from a long line of people that like to feed people. Okay. So creating recipes and cooking and feeding people, things like that, come naturally to me. Uh, it's easy. It, it really is. It's very easy for me to do. Uh, that's not bragging. It's just, I don't know, it's some sort of inherent ability to produce food that I've been able to do all my life. Like new recipes, like come up with your own recipes? Oh, yeah, or, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, come up with those, all sorts of things. You know, you know I'm, I'm based in, in comfort food. I come from South Dakota, okay. you know, what we call the land of white food where everything right. is creamed, right? So <laughs> It's true. Um, <clears throat> which I've always yeah. really enjoyed feeding people and, and, and creating recipes and things like that. Uh, and part of that sort of... Uh, uh, attraction towards things that are sensory enhanced and not necessarily, you know, bland food, but something that's really flavorful, uh, is a natural stepping stone into beer or at least craft beer, I believe. Sure. And yeah. for me, uh, being sort of a, a self made cook, um, I really enjoyed all those flavors and nuances of flavors that you can get. Um, and that led me to craft beer. I mean, I, my very first craft beer, I think, I think I'm not exactly sure, but I think it was probably Pete's Wicked Ale. Oh, and Pete's, Pete's Wicked Ale Pete's. is going back in the time machine a little bit, but they had Pete's Wicked Ale, and I was living back in Philadelphia at the time, and uh, I really, really was attracted to that beer. And then they came up with a Strawberry Blonde, which was great. It was now we're talking about a, a beer infused, right? Uh, something that you know, if you grew up in South Dakota and were drinking Old Milwaukee and mm -hmm. 
and, uh, and Coors Light or something like that, you were never introduced to. Uh, you didn't even know it existed. Sure. But for yeah. somebody that was really into sort of the sensory experience when it comes to cooking, all of a sudden now I had this newfound outlet for beer that wasn't this run-of-the-mill average beer that we've been drinking for years and years and years. Yeah. So for me, Pete's Wicked Ale was just an eye-opener, and uh, I thought it was really cool. Living back in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of breweries back there, yep. and ultimately, <clears throat> excuse me, ultimately, I got into a beer called Yingling. Ah, Yingling. Yingling yes. makes a lager that is just outstanding, yep. and uh, even though it's a pretty large brewery putting on a lot of barrels a year, um, they still produce a really just fantastic lager yeah. that... Uh, that uh, I really grew attached to. Uh, so much so that we would go on trips and people would call us and say, hey, you know, we can't get yingling up here. Would you mind putting yeah. a couple of cases in your trunk and bringing it up with you? Yeah. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. And that's, that's how I got into beer. I mean, that was my, that was the very first experiences or the first experiences that I ever had. Um, getting into brewing beer came much, much, much later. Okay. Living outside of Philadelphia at the time, there was a homebrew store in a corner of a mall that I used to drive past all the time. And I always thought about walking in that place and, and, and figuring it out. And I never did. And I never did. And month or year after year, uh, I never did it until finally one day I went in there and I was totally overwhelmed. I had no idea what I was looking at. You thought it was going to um, be easier. It was going to be oh, like a, a, ki- like a little kid. Absolutely. <laughs> I thought it was going to just add water, right? Yeah, exactly. Just add water. Poof. You know, and instantly you have a beer. Uh, but that wasn't the case. Yeah. And for somebody walking in there uh, that didn't know anything about beer and didn't know what they didn't know. Yeah. Right? Sure. Which was yeah. really who I was. Yeah. Um, I was intimidated. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wish I had taken a step at that moment because it would have been a much longer career that I've had so far, yeah. but I didn't. I remember looking around, shopkeeper said, hey, can I help you? And I looked at him and said, nah, you know what? I don't think you can. <laughs> I, I don't you just think run you, out. Yeah, I just like, yeah, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. I got to do a little more research so at least I can ask a, a question uh, yeah. that doesn't make me look like a total moron. Yeah. <laughs> so. How long ago was this? That was, oh, 20 years ago. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. At least 20 years ago. Yeah. And then about five or six years ago, uh, living here in Arizona, um, I finally started brewing. So there was nothing in between. Nothing. Like in you between. ran out of the, the store. Just a, a love of craft beer and, and, <laughs> sure. and, and, yeah. and, and, and a desire and an attempt to try every craft beer on the planet. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I really did. I used my travel. Yeah. You know, all that time standing in airplane or going through, or going through airplanes or air, air, airports rather, uh, and going around the world or around the country, I used it. I mean, I used it to sample every beer I possibly ah, could. That's awesome. So that yeah. was fantastic. That was the sure. best part about it. So, yeah. yeah, I didn't just disappear from the craft beer scene entirely, or it didn't disappear from me. Uh, I'll, we'll just call that my research period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's an essential <laughs> part, though. That is an essential aspect of knowing what you want to do, right? So you got to do it that really research. was. You yeah. know, you, you, you know, I, I don't consider myself trained. I don't consider myself having a trained palate. In fact, I think my palate is pretty weak compared to other people I talk to who are able to pick up uh, nuances and flavors and things that I just simply can't do. Yeah. Uh, and I wish I could, but I think I'm getting better. But uh, yeah, about five or six years ago, my, my in-laws, um, uh, Jennifer's mom and dad bought me uh, a kit. Yeah. I think it was for my birthday or Christmas or something like that. And I made they my, knew you loved yeah, beer so I much. I made my first beer. Yeah. 
I made my first beer. Within a week, I was back at the homebrew store, and I bought about $1,000 worth of equipment. <laughs> nice, yeah. And was it one of those, like one of the Mr. Beer Kit type things where it was No, pretty... it, was, uh, it was just a bucket and a siphon and a recipe and okay. some grains, and, uh, and that's what I did. Gotcha. That's how I made, I made a beer. But you knew, you knew at that point, like, all right, this is... Well, yeah. I knew because within a week, it was bubbling away in my bedroom. Jennifer likes to tell the story because there was a single five-gallon glass carboy in our bedroom. Yeah. And, of course, it had an airlock on the top of it, and it was actively fermenting. And so the airlock was sort of bubbling away. And if she describes it, it was rattling like a train going through our house. <laughs> uh, you know, I think she might be a little bit, uh, a little bit exaggerating there. But, but the point was is that I'm looking at sort of this miracle, right? I'm looking at this. It's right next to my bed, right next to my nightstand, because yeah. that was the sort of the coolest part of the house where I felt like I could keep, you know, fermentation temperature at bay. Yeah. And, uh, and I did for the most part. But uh, the end result was a beer. And uh, within a week or a week and a half, like I said, I had tasted it and I knew that it was going to be beer and I yeah. was hooked. I was nice. absolutely hooked at that point. Yeah. So now you go back to the, to the beer. So not the same one, different beer shop at this point because now you're in Arizona. Now I'm in Arizona. <clears throat> so now you have something to ask, right? right. You've, you're like, okay, now I know. I have to call yeah. my, my mother-in-law up to say, where did you get this, number <laughs> right. one? Because I don't even know. Yeah. Right? So I have to call her up. And, and ask her where she went. So she tells me the shop she went to, how helpful everybody was, you know. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, that's what I did. I went right back there, explained to them what I had, and uh, just started buying equipment right there on the spot. Yeah. Wow. So, um, and so were, you, were you in Ash? Or are you? Were you? I, I was a member for Ash for a couple of years. Okay. For a couple of years. Okay. Um, and it was, uh, it was eye-opening to me yeah. because I realized that there was a... A community out there, and I mean a really large community, especially yeah. if you're looking at Ash, because I, I don't know the statistic, but I'm thinking it's one of the largest homebrewer clubs in the country. I've heard that too, yeah. Yeah, yeah with over, you know, 1,000 or 1,500 or 1,800 members or something like that. I mean, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Well, what's missing out of that group that I didn't really connect with was the fact that everybody brewed on their own, or mostly on their own. They brewed in the garage, they brewed in the kitchen, uh, stove, or in their basement, if we have basements here in Arizona, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Uh, but they're brewing alone, and they're creating these beers, um, and then they're putting together growlers or cans or bottles, and then they're bringing it to an ash meeting, and they're sort of sharing with people, and they're talking about it and celebrating beer and all that sort of thing. And uh, I thought, well, you know, that's, <clears throat> that's really nice. It's, yeah. it's great. I went to a few meetings, and I looked at it, and... I didn't really know anybody, and I'm not much of a joiner. I'm okay. really not much of a joiner. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought, you know what's missing out of this is sort of the communal aspect, which I yeah. believe is inherent with craft beer. Yeah. Um, it is the reason we go to craft breweries and we see picnic tables rather than, um, you know, separate sections or, or, or booths that are completely cut off and you can't see anybody. Uh, it's it's yeah. not a fine dining restaurant. That's not what craft beer is. Yeah. Craft beer is communal. People want to sit at picnic tables. They want to sit in groups or in open spaces like we're sitting here right now uh, where you can see everybody. You can see the other beers. You can hear. You can talk. You can do all these types yeah. of things. And what I fell in love with would be like a year later, <clears throat> excuse me, is the 
Walter Brew Co-op or the Brew on Premises Club that we had uh, or still have actually to this day. So that I really enjoyed. I was introduced to that after I was a member of Ash. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And I became a member of this club. Yeah. The club is made up of very, very colorful people. Really? (laughs) To say the least. Very colorful people. Yeah. Uh, One of the coolest things about them is, you know, 15 or 20% of them are are musicians. And so there was a lot of impromptu, you know, guitar uh, uh, or people singing songs or playing guitar or something like that yeah. um, while brewing was going on. So this is a subset of, of Ash, or is it, this is a completely different club in itself? This is an entirely different club. No okay. affiliation with Ash whatsoever. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. Um, <clears throat> and it was created about almost 10 years ago. Okay. The club started at what we call the Walter Dome, which is where Walter the Bus was originally built. Okay. Uh, ultimately became popular enough that uh, the club, and this was before I joined, put together a new building on the property with a fermentation room, refrigeration, uh, a uh, brew magic or a Sabco um, uh, a brew unit or brew house. Yeah. Um, and they were able to brew together. Wow. One of the coolest things I had ever seen. On that system. On that system, oh, in that's that spot. Cool. Yeah. And they would get together once a week, and I was invited down, and they would get together once a week, and they'd brew beer together. Yeah. And they'd sit, and they'd tell stories. <clears throat> they would drink, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. uh, and uh, sing songs. Uh, very, very communal. And that was what I thought was, was missing from what I didn't see before, and that's what I found in, in, in the Walter group. I thought was okay. really interesting. The, the Brew on Premises Club was just so much fun. That sounds really awesome. It really is. It's, yeah. it's such a fun group. It's such yeah. a fun club. Um, and then uh, we even expanded. I mean, we went up to 30 or 35 members at one time, maybe even 40. Um, now I think we're back down to about 25 or 30. So it's not a big club by any stretch of the imagination. But what's really cool about it is, is everybody gets together and brew. You're not brewing alone. Yeah. You're brewing with somebody. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, invites all sorts of colorful comments <laughs> like, you know, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> or why would you choose that? I could Or imagine. something like that, you know. <laughs> and especially as the beers get consumed and towards the end of the night, you know, color or comments become a little more colorful. And it's just, yeah. it's a really fun group. Yeah. It really is. That's and cool camaraderie cool and everything. Yeah. That's, that sounds really um, completely different than anything I've, I've heard of. You know, it's... It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't know that there are any other here in Arizona. It's not something I researched, so I wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, But uh, it's really just a really cool way to continue to learn how to brew. uh, And because you have this built-in audience of people that are constantly uh, drinking your beer. Yeah. So they're constantly drinking your beer. You're always getting feedback. Yeah. Although I I often say a, a free beer is rarely criticized. Sure. Um, yeah, that's right. So yeah. getting, getting really strong or good feedback is sometimes yeah. a little bit difficult yeah. until people plunk down their hard-earned cash for it. Then they feel not uh, only uh, entitled but obligated to tell you uh, what they think about that beer. But right. that's okay. I Unless mean, it's good. Right. right. If you like, don't have thick skin, don't get in this business. Yeah, believe me. that's true. So, okay, so you, you joined the, the club. Um, at this point, did you have a desire to, to open up a brewery at all um or had that seed been planted and yeah. oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah <clears throat> the um the idea of owning a brewery uh or brewing professionally uh was very appealing to me at that time 
Um, of course, I didn't realize how much work it was. Sure. <laughs> I just thought, you know, every, hey, you got together and the grains were there and and uh, you brewed and uh, poof, magically, you know, somebody else did all the hard work. But that's not the case, as we know and you yeah. know, uh, that it's a tremendous amount of work. But yeah. even back then, since I didn't know. Yeah. Absolutely. I wanted to get involved. Uh, I wanted to brew professionally. I knew it was something that I wanted to do. Uh, much like cooking, uh, I just... It came naturally to, <clears throat> excuse me, naturally to me. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I'm bragging or I think that I'm a great brewer. Yeah. It just means that I believe that I understand the brewing science uh, fairly easily because coming from a cooking background, sure. uh, I think they're closely related. Yeah. So it, it, in that regard or in that respect, uh, for me, it was sort of an easy jump. The, the hardest part for me was, um, was more about um, the sciences behind the brewing like the the water chemistry uh you know and things like that sure and i realized you know i'm much later in life i thought you know i'm 50 years old you know this is a young man's game i shouldn't be starting a brewery <laughs> at 50 years old and honestly i kind of thought i was done learning yeah i really thought that i had put that chapter away and you know i could sort of you know live the rest of my life on the knowledge that i had previously accumulated um but, you know, the next thing you know, I've got a water chemistry book in my hand. I'm down in Rocky Point. And, uh, you know, everybody else is having fun or going out and doing things. And I'm sitting there reading away. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, this is a change in life, right? This is, <laughs> this is something that's really changing. Yeah. Uh, but to me, that also meant that I was taking it seriously, which I, which I needed to do at that point in time. Yeah. <clears throat> I didn't really go out and try to get a job anywhere. Uh, I had read way too many articles, comments, forums, etc. that... Even though the brewing industry is fairly well regarded as an open community, mm -hmm. if you are a home brewer, it's really not. Um, um, what do you mean by that? Like, uh, well, it's 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 because as a home brewer, and I'll use me as an example because I think I'm a classic example. Uh, as a home brewer, I thought I could do what they did. Okay. And it's so like, oh, it's just you just right? multiply. Yeah, I know yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah, it's you know it's ten gallons, it's ten barrels. So what's the difference? Yeah, um, I knew what I was capable of doing, and I believed I could do what they could do. Yeah, I couldn't believe later on. Right now, realizing how wrong I was. I mean, just how <laughs> unbelievably wrong I was. Uh, but at the time, as a home brewer, you walk into a brewery, and the first thing you do is you tell the guy, "Hey, I'm a home brewer." Yeah, right, and you could often sometimes see whoever you're talking to, their eyes sort of roll in the back of their head like, oh, no, not another one, right? Yeah. You know, please, you know, are we going to talk about, you know, the hop that I used in this beer or yeah. why did I use it? Or can't we just enjoy the beer? Sure. Do yeah. we have to go through, you know, have, a, have a, a, a forensic accounting of everything that went inside of it? Yeah. And, and I understand now how they, how they sort of felt because you were going in there thinking you could do their job, which was arrogant to say the least. And, yeah. And borderline stupid, but you went in and you thought that you knew how to brew this beer, and you really didn't know how to brew it. Yeah. You had no idea what they were going through. You had no idea what they had to deal with on a larger basis. And you would go in and you would say something like, "Hey, I just I'll sweep the floors. I'll you need some help doing this. I'll lift bags. I'll carry bags. I'll something like that." And <clears throat> again, as a professional organization like breweries are, there are. Uh, many jobs within, but they all require somebody to do them. And bringing somebody in 
you know, you're thinking naively, oh, of course they could use my help. But the reality is, is nobody wants some random guy, right, walking <laughs> around that they don't know, isn't on the payroll, yeah. um, walking around their brewery carrying bags and possibly getting injured or something sure. like that. Yeah. So there's so many facets to this as to why it's such a terrible idea, unless you're really willing to make the jump and sacrifice. Um, and starting out in the brewing industry... Um, the pay's not all that great. Yeah. And if anybody's yeah. thinking out there that you're going to make six figures a year or something like that, you're, you're sadly mistaken. The pay is really, really low when you want to get into this industry. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I knew I wanted to get into it, uh, but I learned really quickly just to keep my mouth closed. Uh, go in, <clears throat> excuse me, um, go to breweries, do your research, uh, talk to people, and never ever tell them you're a home brewer. <laughs> right, right. That's what I learned. <laughs> That's interesting. That's really, I've never heard that before, but it makes, it makes a, a lot of sense, right? It's like, you know, meeting, you know, um, you know, Jack White and say, oh, dude, I play guitar too. Right. Oh, no shit. Right. Okay, yeah, great. Cool. cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. So we're the same. So we're the same then. Yeah, I just got, yeah. Uh, well, that's, so, so you, with that in mind, so you, you weren't looking to do, okay, you know what, I'll brew for somebody else and then I'll, I'll launch it. You're just looking, hey, I just want to open my own place at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and a small place. Okay. <clears throat> uh, I never had any delusions, okay, that I was going to be yeah. canning and I was going to be on the fries a shelf or at Total Wine or something like that. Never had it. Okay. Never desired it. Yeah. Never once yeah. desired that. I don't want to get into packaging. At least I didn't at the time. And I'm still not sure if I do. But uh, at the time, I did, that, that wasn't what I wanted to do. What I wanted was an intimate, small experience. Okay. A little tiny pub, okay, 50 seats or less, uh, a five or seven barrel system tops, okay, with four or five fermenters, a, a good cellar uh, so that you could, you know, be constantly putting new beers through all the time so that the variety could be high yeah. and the volume could be low. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that's a great concept. It's a great concept if you're Bill Gates, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody once told me, how do, you, how do you make a million dollars in the brewing industry? Start with three million? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I love that. Yeah. So, you know, I, it, after reading a lot and I read and essentially learned how to do all this, you know, by reading... You know, watching YouTube videos, uh, going through forums, um, trying to figure out what uh, what people were doing, and, and, and looking at the questions being asked, and how those questions were being answered, uh, especially the old timers on something like uh, uh, Pro Brewer. Yeah. If you ever get into Pro Brewer and you look, look at some of these old timers answering questions, they're just fantastic. I mean, what they're is, so colorful. Is that like a? It's like an a, online forum for okay. brewing, and it's also you can sell. You can sell. Uh, and buy things on there and, okay. and you can get advice or, or whatever. It's just a, it's sort of an all encompassing sort of beer world. If you want answers to something, you can go there. If you want to sell uh, equipment, you can go there. If you want to buy equipment, okay. uh, so on and so forth. And but it's called Pro Brewer. Yeah. Give, give and, people yeah, shit. There's some, <laughs> there's some really, it's a really great online community. Uh, if you ask pointed questions, you will get good answers. Okay. If you ask the question, how do I open a brewery? You will get crickets chirping. <laughs> if no you're lucky. Will, no one will answer. If you're lucky. Uh, yeah. Safe. <clears throat> Your question will just sit out there in, in you know, in Neverland forever, yeah. and it will never get answered. And, uh, you know, you can see the frustration when people say, why is anybody answering my question, you know, when they're posting this on there? Yeah. And then somebody will eventually chime in and say, because it's too bloody vague, okay? <laughs> you have to, you know, ask us a very specific question, and we will give you a very specific answer. Yeah. So that's... 
pro brewer in a in a in a nutshell. That's good though. It's good because it's like, hey, do the work, make the attempt, and then if if you show that you've made the attempt, then you've got a world of knowledge here that's that's going to be able right. to help you say, hey, right. I tried this. This is how it turned out. How can I make that different? Yeah. I'm sure all kinds of people would be on that, but and that's a really good way of putting it because yeah. you're talking about putting in the attempt, put in the sure. effort. First and foremost, you know, do the work. If you run into a dead end, then call us, mm-hmm. and and we will try to help. But don't ask us to do you know the work for you because yeah. they, they won't do it, and they can see it a mile away. So it's yeah. a it's it's an interesting little resource, and I really enjoyed uh, uh, reading it, and still do to this day. I, I still will all the time because it's yeah. a, you're you're constantly getting really good information when you're seeking out um, seeking out sources that you don't normally uh, don't normally use, and Prober is a pretty good one. Gotcha. Okay. But, uh, yeah, opening the, the brewery was supposed to be small. Okay. It was supposed to be a large variety. <clears throat> excuse me, variety. Uh, and that's really all it was supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't distributing. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't going to be selling kegs out to, uh, to other bars or restaurants or anything like that. I didn't want to get into that. Yeah. I never, ever wanted to send a beer into GABF. Yeah. Okay. I have no desire to ever get a beer uh, uh, tested like that and yeah. against anybody else. That's not why I make beer. That's not to say that anybody else that wants to do that. I, I am really big on you do your thing, what makes you happy. Yeah. And I, and I really appreciate that. And I, that's what I want to do. I, you get all sorts of pressure. Once you finally do open a brewery, you get all yeah. sorts of pressure uh, from people to say, you really need to enter this into GBF. Oh, this beer is so good. And, and I'm thinking, you know, you know how many people are getting that same advice across the country in every city and every state? Yeah. You know, it's, it, it probably happens a thousand times a day. And I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not arrogant enough to think that, um, you know, I'm going to walk into GABF and I'm going to like, hey, here's my beers, everybody, you know, yeah. and everybody's going to bow in front of me. That's not going <laughs> to happen, okay? That's not in my future. Yeah, but it's not a desire. Like, you, you, it's, not, it's not what you're seeking either. Which is it's that, not what I'm seeking. I'm yeah. not looking for anybody's approval outside of the people that are, that are my customers. Yeah. My yeah. customers are who I care about. That's, yeah. who I'm, that's who I'm trying to please. Go back to that, all that I talked about earlier about cooking. Yeah. I want to feed people, right? I've always wanted right. to feed people. I come from a family that feeds people. And now it turns out I'm taking care of thirsty patrons, right? <laughs> right. Oh, they may not be all that thirsty. Okay, I get that. But, <laughs> but uh, the point is, is that that's who I am producing beer for. I'm not producing yeah. beer for a panel of judges. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's never appealed to me. Yeah. Although today, um, when you want to be a commercial brewery and you want to uh, start taking steps towards protecting the products that you create, uh, there are various methods that you can go through with trademarking and things like that. And one of the things that you have to prove is interstate commerce and in order to prove interstate commerce without actually selling your beer in another state is to have it judged in another state. Oh, interesting. Which okay. counts towards, you know, sort of that credit that you need to getting your beer trademarked. Uh-huh. So what I found out much later on, and again, another one of those things I didn't even know what I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, and thankfully uh, from my wife, who was heavily involved in this brewery, um, is that uh, if you enter a beer in GABF, uh, that counts towards interstate commerce, and so that helps you with your trademarking and the protection of the names and the beers that you're creating. 
And so as much as I do not want to ever enter a beer into GABF, ultimately it may become a necessity. And so it's something yeah. that I may have to do, which yeah. sounds really strange. You would think, oh, you'd want to do that. Yeah. I just, I don't want to do it. I, I, I'm not looking forward to having to do it, but it may be a point in time <laughs> where you just have to do it. Yeah, yeah. Just to, yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that like, because I know there, I mean, a majority of breweries here in Arizona don't distribute outside of, of the state. But right. Many of them do submit to, you know, the World Beer Cup or GABF or something like that. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting to know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and as it, there, is a, there is part of me that would love to see sort of what a professional judge, somebody that really knows beer, that has those levels of sensory that I don't have, yeah. that has the experience in, in evaluating a beer that I don't have. I just don't have it. Yeah. Um, I don't have the palate that these uh, uh, BJCP guys do, you know, and the, you know, these, these people have put together hours and hours and hours of training, and, you know, we call that training, I guess, when we're drinking beer. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> it is, uh, though, yeah. It is training, yeah. you know, and it's, it's tough. And, you know, this group of, uh, of people have developed this, uh, this ability to sort of pick out, you know, those off flavors and, and things that are good qualities about a beer that I don't have. So there is some small part of me yeah. that would love to get a professional evaluation. Um, but I just, I'm not particularly fond of the, the process in which, you know, anybody gets to enter a beer at G, <clears throat> excuse me, at GABF. There's no, there's no qualifier. There's no, yeah. there's no sectionals, yeah, right? right? You don't, you don't <laughs> have to win. You yeah. don't have to win your county first to yeah. go to state. You can yeah. just go right to state. Yeah. You don't even have to win your state to go to GABF. Yeah. You just enter a beer. If you want to enter a beer, you enter a beer. Yeah. And it could be a terrible beer. It could be a beer that shouldn't even be there, but there it is anyway. Yeah. Taking up space, right? In a yeah. in a in a truck, taking up space on a on a judging table uh for a beer that that doesn't have a chance. And and it's too bad uh that it happens that way, but I I wish that there was some sort of qualifying levels for GABF so yeah. that ultimately the beers that were being judged at GABF already had some sort of uh, achievement there were, or, or that they've been associated with of winning, you know, their local or their statewide, and that's how they got there. That's a good idea, actually. You might be yeah. onto something there. We'll see. United States Beer <clears throat> Tournament or something like that. Right. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, that, that's, yeah. A, that's perfect. Yes. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool. I'm going to write that right above pro (laughs) brewery. All right, (laughs) because I was thinking, I'm like, "Ah, Eric, that's a dumb, that's a dumb thing. And um, your uh, affirmation helped me decide that uh, we're gonna we're gonna make that happen, Jim. Perfect, that happen. Great. (laughs) Then then I'll enter. (laughs) Don't count on it. Don't count. That'll be the thing is you don't have to enter if you help me build this this tournament. Yeah. Uh, So okay. So so then where where did it go from there? You want to open up your own place. how did it how did the walter thing come together all right well um since i was already associated with the walter brew club okay um and my partner kirk is uh is the owner of the walter or walter the bus i should say and all the other art cars that are associated with the walter group okay um that is where walter the bus was created um it was his vision, his everything that, that had all of that uh, come together to create Walter the Bus and then the subsequent vehicles that came after that. Um, Kirk was looking for a way to have a craft brewery. Okay. And had been looking for a couple of years. In fact, that's 
kind of how the Walter Brew Club started out. There was sort of a thought process behind it that it could be a club at the beginning, but ultimately it would turn into sort of a craft brewery. They could have it down at the Ponderosa Lumber, which is where that was located and still is at this time. Um, and, And that was sort of how that was developing. You know, enter Jim Erickson, you know, he comes in, doesn't know anything. Uh, but starts brewing with the club, and I get to know everybody, <clears throat> and I get to know Kirk. Uh, my wife, Jennifer, eventually works for Kirk. Okay. And so that's how the, that's how the relationship begins to strengthen. Uh, because, you know, I knew who he was, and, uh, uh, but I didn't really truly have a relationship with, with him at the time. So it was at least a year or two, or maybe even three years later, uh, that Kirk and Jennifer were looking for a building because they were about to take one of their other buildings offline. It was going to go under construction. They were going to displace some of their workers. So they were looking for a place where they could temporarily house their workers while that construction was going on. That's the building you're standing in right now. Okay. Okay. So that's how this building came about. And initially or originally this building was supposed to be just outfitted to house uh, some of those workers, because it has a garage in it, a very large garage, uh, because this we're standing in the place where the fire trucks used to be parked, it also would be valuable or useful to use as a as a maintenance bay, or just at the very least a place to store some of these vehicles because of uh, because of such a large garage. Yeah. So that's how this building came about. Ultimately, that that plan didn't really need to come into play for a variety of different reasons, and. And Kirk had come to me one day, and, and actually he came to me over at the Ponderosa. I think it was in the middle of a brew session. And he, he, he drives right up to the door and says, you got to come with me. Yeah. You know, you got to come with me right away. Come with me. I'm like, okay. So I, you know, turn off the burner. I don't know. You know, was Lassie stuck in a well or something? <laughs> why am I, you know, why am I having to go this, you know, so quickly? But it was kind of funny because, you know, Kirk was really excited about it. So like, you know, Kirk gets excited. I'm getting excited yeah. too because he has that sort of, you know, infectious yeah. energy. And so I jump in his car and he doesn't really even know how to get here, which I remember what I remember is, is cause it's kind of hard to get here to number one. Um, so we had to sort of figure our way over here. He told me to grab a tape measure. Yeah. Before I got into his car, I grab a tape measure. We come over here, and he opens up the doors, and he's showing me this building, and he says, this is great, you know, and we're, we're measuring the doors because we're trying to figure out which of the vehicles that he owns could fit in here. Okay. Uh, and so we're trying to figure that out, and he looks at me and says, wouldn't this be great for a brewery? And I was looking at two or three different properties in town at the time. I had my eyes sort of on one that was downtown that I thought was going to be a really good fit for us. Um, And uh, I was just starting that negotiation. And uh, I had been through a couple of others. They absolutely fell flat. I failed on those completely. Um, And then Kirk had showed me this building. He said, we could put a brewery in here. You know, we could do it. We could do it. Yeah. And so we started talking about it. That's how this building and this brewery sort of started. Did you uh, see it? Did you see that vision when he was like, did, were you kind of like, hell yeah, like I, I can yeah, see this. I, yeah. I saw it. I, yeah. I saw it because initially I looked at the engine bay as not a place for, for cars, yeah. uh, for vehicles to be worked on or anything automotive in, in, any, in any regard. Yeah. Uh, what I looked at when I saw this, this space that we're standing in right now is this is where I saw the brewing equipment. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Wide 
open, expansive. High ceilings. High ceilings. Yep. Big giant garage doors, the ability to move equipment in, uh, raw yeah. materials in or beer out. Super simple, you know, yeah. on a major artery, Washington. Um, right along the light rail. Right light on rail. the light rail. I yeah. mean, it had so many positive things about it that I was thinking, yeah, this is actually a really good spot. The only thing it doesn't have is a built-in population. We're not in Arcadia. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're not in Old Town Scottsdale or, or Garfield or anyplace else yeah. uh, that has its own, you know, sort of population built in. We're down by the airport. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of industry down here, uh, but there aren't a lot of people that live here. So... I knew that it had its challenges off the bat in terms of being able to open a pub here, but as far as a brewery goes, it seemed like a really good fit. Yeah. And so that's how we got together on this. We, we started with sort of a, a complex plan that included both brewery and temporary housing for uh, some of their employees. Okay. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, they realized that they didn't necessarily need those, those desks uh, they didn't need to set this place up for that. So what we decided instead that this should be all brewery. Okay. And the plans morphed from 80% housing, 20% brewery, uh, to 20% uh, housing and 80% brewery to ultimately 100% brewery. Yeah. You know, <laughs> screw it. You know, we're going to need all this space. Yeah. You know, realizing that it, you know, we had gone through some really strange designs like a brewery and a cube, which we can talk about another time if you want to. But essentially it was going to be four glass walls and a brewery within okay and it was gonna we were just gonna call it the brewery cube or something like that i don't know yeah. we, just, we must have been drinking at that point <laughs> but we were having a good time with the with the ideas and the, the possible designs behind it okay that's how it all started eventually uh all we needed to do at that point was uh design it engineer it and build it yeah and that easy. took another three years. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> I was going to say easy. Then, then it's the easy stuff. Well, well, let's back up a second because um, you told me before about the, the vehicles, uh, which are awesome. Is that, is that something that uh, you can share? I mean, I guess it's not private information, right? Um, the, Walter, the Walter vehicles? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, no. No, it's not, it's not private at all. It's very yeah. public. Um, Walter the Bus was originally built for... A vehicle to take to Burning Man. Okay. And if you don't know what Burning Man is, just look it up. There's 10 billion photos on Google. It's, you'll get the idea within the first 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, but it is a festival out in a dry lake bed up in Nevada. And uh, it's really an interesting festival. It's not just a music festival. It's not just any one thing. It's, it's a dozen different things all sort of molded into one. Uh, but it's very communal. Yeah. Uh, to say the least. It's very, very communal. Uh, and Walter the Bus was created for that. And if you've ever been on Walter the Bus or around Walter the Bus, you'll see in two seconds, this is a very communal vehicle. Yeah. It welcomes you. There's a sign that says, welcome aboard, you know, right on it. You, you are encouraged to get on. You are encouraged to climb up. You are encouraged to climb through. Uh, you are encouraged to sit in the driver's seat or dance on the top or whatever. Yeah. It's... It's a really special vehicle, yeah. and that was the first one. And what is it? Like it's a, it's a giant Volkswagen? Well, <clears throat> this, in order to explain what it is, I'll have to tell you that Kirk found it in Jerome. Okay. Um, the story, as I understand it, was is that he was up in Jerome for something called the Jerome Jamboree, which is a celebration of all things Volkswagen, and they have it on the backside of town um, next to an old gold mine. Okay, And the yeah. gentleman that owned... Uh, the gold mine. He has since passed. Uh, but the gentleman that owned the gold mine uh, had a variety of 
trucks and cars and whatever sort of parked in the weeds. There was grass growing around them. Yeah. All these old vehicles that were just sort of aging in the, in the sun. And Kirk was up there one year and saw this fire truck. And it was an airport crash truck, which means it's a, it's a much larger than what you would see in city streets fire truck. These are fire trucks that are designed to be at airports. You know, they don't have to navigate city streets. So they have really big tires and, and terrible turning radiuses and things like that. But they're, they're perfectly designed for fighting fires on runways because there are no city streets, right? Uh, so okay. uh, that's sort of the vehicle. Yeah. And Kirk sees it, sort of does one of those, you know... Cecil B. DeMille, two hands together things does this, uh, and looks at it and says, uh, wow, that looks, like a, that looks like a Volkswagen bus. Yeah. And um, he thought it did. I don't know that anybody agreed or disagreed with him, but he yeah. thought he did it at the time. So he and his wife, Mary, uh, agreed uh, to purchase it. And in fact, I believe what they did is they traded it for one of their own Volkswagen buses. Oh, really? Had it brought down here to Phoenix where it was ultimately designed and engineered and then stripped of all of its outer skin and metal, and all of the metal on it was custom-built at the Walter Dome right there in Scottsdale okay. and fitted to make it look like the world's largest VW bus. <sighs> that is the story, the, the abridged story, of course, of, uh, of Walter. And it was such a success. It was such a cool uh, uh, addition to you know, the, the Walter camp at Burning Man, that ultimately what happened later on was that they started adding new vehicles. And they took another truck, uh, and they put, you know, horns on it and, and fire coming out of it. And they yeah. took another vehicle, and they turned it into a Volkswagen Bug. Uh, and again, built on a big, giant frame, so the wheels are chest high. Yeah. You know, it's built at, you know, something like a 7 to 1 scale or something like that. Uh, so that was later. That later came. Then, then eventually, they became up with the idea to build a soundstage, but a portable soundstage, and that became Calliope, which is what you will see now in a variety of places around town. Uh, but you'll see it over at the uh, Walter Warehouse right now, where it's currently parked over on Twenty First Avenue, and that is ultimately, or, or essentially, what that is. Rather, I should say, is a is a portable soundstage. It's a it's the back end of a tractor trailer. It's the trailer, but it's filled with sound equipment, you know, amps, lighting equipment, fog machines, you name it. I mean, it's got <laughs> all sounds, sorts of stuff in it yeah. to make it just one of the coolest things that you'll ever see. Yeah. And on the top, up on the deck, there's actually a DJ booth. And, you know, this vehicle can rival the sound system of, you know, many permanent installations around the country. Uh, and they got a really cool team of people that work on it, you know, all the time. And so all these vehicles have been put together all after the original one, which is Walter. Yeah. And so now there's a fleet of these vehicles. I think there's seven, eight, or nine or something like that. Uh, as Kirk and Mary continue to sort of spearhead that, uh, that uh, part of their world, yeah. uh, if you will, they continue to build these vehicles and... And, uh, yeah, it's really cool. And, and everybody loves them. I mean, when you yeah. see them on the streets, when you see them on the parades, uh, when they're just parked over at the Ponderosa, I mean, people just gravitate to them automatically. Yeah. Uh, they're just one of those things where you just have to get close up to, you have to touch it, you have to get involved. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a really cool thing. And that's a little yeah. bit about them. You, you, we could talk about those vehicles for another two days. Uh, I got to see them. I got to see them in person. Cause after we met at our rent house that one day, I went and looked at all the videos. I'm like, dude, this is badass. Like I'm sending videos to my buddies and stuff, you know, like it's 
they look they, they i mean just in the videos they look cool i couldn't imagine in person so yeah i, I need to make a trip yeah and yeah <laughs> it, it, you know downtown for um where i think it, it's shown particularly well is new year's eve downtown and if you can find those photos on uh, the Walter Productions website or just on Google, yeah, um, you will see some just amazing shots of all these people coming together around this group of vehicles in a parking lot, yeah. right? You yeah. know, and it's it's a parking lot, but it's a parking lot until the the Walter Group gets there. Yeah, once the Walter Show arrives, it's no longer a parking lot. Now, yeah. I mean, it's a stage. It really yeah. is. And and the fact that so many people come just to see those things is pretty amazing yeah well okay so um so then back to the brewery aspect of it so you guys found this building and basically just started planning from there right and we did you know we sat down and we we thought about all the things that we could do um you know walter productions doesn't just own vehicles they also own a couple of properties and at the time um and 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 uh they have a couple in development right now uh, but at the time, the idea was to be able to build a brewery that could supply beer to all of those other locations okay. as they came online, right? As they went through development and came online, what we would have here is a brewery that could um, uh, brew enough beer, not only for the station here on its own, but have enough beer that we could supply uh, these other locations. And that was really sort of the, the, the idea. The base, the base idea at that point was... 60, 70, maybe 80% of the beer that we made uh, would eventually go to these properties. And that's still sort of our thinking. Uh, The remaining 20 or 30% would be sold here on site. And then anything that we felt we could spare, we could push out into the marketplace in a very limited capacity. Uh, Just self-distribution, getting out into a few bars and restaurants around town. Okay. Gotcha. And, And how's that going so far? Uh, really good. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah. good. Yeah. Well, how- uh, you know, the properties themselves are still in development on okay. the other side of the Walter world. Uh, but from the brewery standpoint, um, it's going very well. You know, it, I'm really surprised because we don't do really any advertising other than a couple of Facebook posts here and there. Yeah. Um, but we are slowly developing our own group of regulars. Yeah. Uh, we have a steady stream of people in here all the time. People really enjoy the space. Um, we're getting good reviews on the beers, which is great. Yeah. I mean, that's just, uh, I can't tell you how, how gratifying or satisfying. I'm not sure which one's the correct word here. It is, but to, uh, to see somebody come in and plunk down money to, to buy one of your beers. Yeah. It is one of the coolest feelings you will ever, ever feel. Um, <clears throat> it's, and it's not about, it's not about validation. Yeah. It's about... The fact that you were able to create something that somebody likes enough to actually yeah. spend money on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I look at that and I'm like, wow, somebody's buying my beer? Are you kidding me? Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. Somebody's buying my beer. I, yeah. It's not that I never thought that would happen. I just never knew how I would feel when that happened. And yeah. it is, it's, you, you can be you know, prideful, of course, uh, or proud rather, but... Uh, it is tremendously satisfying. Yeah. And that's probably the best word. It's really satisfying to see that happen. So, yeah, we're doing well. Uh, we've got people in here, like I said, all the time. We've got a good group of regulars. Uh, we're becoming known as sort of an event space. We're having a lot of parties here now. People really like the engine room that we're standing in right now. This is awesome. I love this. Yeah. It's such a cool room. And it's, yeah. as, we call, as we call it, unmolested, right? We right. haven't really <laughs> done anything to this room. We've left it. 
uh, left it rather as the uh, fire department left it. Yeah. You know, when they were done with this building, they, you know, pulled the vehicles out, packed up their stuff and left. And for the most part, it looks just like it did when they left. Yeah, I can uh, see and that. we haven't really done anything to it except for put in some you know tables and chairs, yeah. and uh, and now it's one of the places or one of the things about this place that our customers seem to really like the most. Yeah, well, dude, it's, I mean, it's an open space. I mean, you've got the the garage doors, huge garage doors on both both ends, both the north and the south end of the building. Um, I think it's great, man. I, I, I love this. I love the layout, um, and then you got the little tap room in here as well. Like that's where you got which, I, I mean. It impresses me. Then I mean, you got what twelve beers on tap right now? I think. Yeah, we yeah we have twelve. Yeah, because all we have are twelve taps. That's right. <laughs> yeah. If we had fifteen, we'd have fifteen taps or fifteen beers on tap. Yeah, but we don't have fifteen taps. We have twelve taps. We're currently serving out of two uh, kegerators that I modified to pour six beers each. Yeah. Um, and uh, I would never advise anybody ever to do this ever yeah. in their entire <laughs> lives because it's it's a it's a big pain. But uh, but we manage it. Uh, we got some really cool people working here who who really make that happen. Uh, you know, yeah. it's my sort of uh, crazy scheme to do that, to be able to have 12 beers on tap, you know, and, and somebody like, you know, Luis, who we talked about earlier. Yeah. Uh, Luis was one of the first ones to say, it's like, are we really going to serve, you know, 12 beers yeah. out, of a, out of kegerators? I yeah. mean, who would do that? Yeah. And, uh, and he was right to be skeptical because it's a pain. It yeah. really is. It's a, it's a never-ending process of, of decanting down into one-six barrels uh, because you can only fit half barrels in there. I'm sorry, if you only fit half barrels in there, you can have three, you could have three uh, beers per kegerator. Okay. Uh, for a total of six, but I modified it, just changed the towers around a little bit so that we could have six on each one. Yeah. So now we have 12, but that means we can't fit half barrels in there. That means some of the barrels that we serve out of have to be slims, which means now that instead of just going through our normal kegging operation of putting everything into half barrels, which, by the way, would be a dream, <laughs> um, we don't get to do because we put yeah. everything into halves. Uh, we have a limited number of slims, and then... Whenever we run out of slims, I pull out a half and I decant it down into three slims again after I wash them up. It's a lot of work. Wow, that is. Yeah. So, but it makes it, so when, when you do get to that point, it'll, you'll appreciate that more than somebody that never had to do it the way you do it. Oh, right? absolutely. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, we, there's so many things about this temporary tap room that um, we had to do. I mean, yeah. let's just clear, let, let's get it out in the open. We had to do it. We had to get open. Yeah. Um, at one point or at some point in time when you're building something, especially something that's going to be open to the public, eventually you have to be open to the public to, to see if it's working or not. Sure. Uh, yeah. And we had gone through enough delays through construction and engineering. Uh, we had done that enough times that I, has, I, I had really been worn down and I couldn't wait any longer. Yeah. And much to the dismay of my partners, you know, Kirk and Mary and Jennifer <laughs> looking at me, I'm saying, no, we're just going to open with a temporary bar. We're just going to open it with a temporary. That's all we're going to do. It's going to be a temporary bar. And, you know, them looking at me and saying, you know, let's just put it off a week. Let's do another two weeks. Let's do something like that. <clears throat> yeah. Let's, uh, you know, let's just, you know, you know, tap the brakes a little bit. And, and I was relentless. And I said, no, we're just going to do it. Yeah. We're just going to do it. We're just going to open up. And they're like, well, how are you going to do it? I'm like, you know what? Let me figure that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> That's my job, my responsibility. I'll figure it out. Yeah. So we bought these two kegerators, modified them, and we had a bar. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, we're going to build a real bar here in the engine room. Uh, we're going to molest this room just a little bit, just enough to put a small bar in. 
Uh, and then we can have a long draw system into a cooler that's already built and we'll never have to decant ever again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, knock on wood. <laughs> yes. Yes. I can see it. I saw in your eyes, like the vision, you could see it. You could see it happening. Uh, so, so what about the, so tell me about the beers, like your approach to like what, because the one that I'm having here, the OG warrior, American IPA, West coast style, fantastic beer man you asked me like oh, I went, thank you yeah like you're like what do you want i'm like oh gee warrior you're like, all right yeah <laughs> let's get it started on the right well foot, you know right? <laughs> and i made a funny comment to you because i assumed everybody's after the octane right yeah <laughs> you know and there's a little bit of uh there's a little bit of humility in my statements i often talk like that but uh um the og is is it's it's just a fun beer i think yeah. it is because it's not so sharp that it you know beats you up with uh with a high you know hop character to it yep. uh but it's got plenty of punch as far as abv at 7.8 percent um you know it's it's our top seller it's been yeah. our top seller for the past three months yeah uh we've Makes had sense. other top sellers but when that came on um we just we 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 doesn't seem we can make it fast enough. Yeah, uh, it it really is a very very popular beer here. Yeah, well it makes sense why man that's a fantastic beer. Thank you. Very it, kind it, of you to say. Uh, you know I uh, it was hard for me to pace that thing out through this whole episode. So <laughs> and you didn't. <laughs> no, I did not. No. <clears throat> you fell short. Yeah. Uh, so what are some of the other uh, flagships that you guys have? Like what are because like I said there's twelve here but uh, what what will be ones that you continue to have. Yeah, well, we like to keep things on the balance side. I don't want to be just an IPA house. Sure. Um, I don't want to be a hop house. That's that's although we have four IPAs on right now, uh, which is kind of a fluke. It's just sort of worked out that way, and that's mainly because I just haven't really figured out how to be a commercial brewer just yet. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, so you know, I'm brewing some things at the wrong time and not brewing other things when I should be. Um, so. You know, the end result of that is we've got four IPAs on right now. Uh, it's, it, it has turned out or it's worked out to actually be a good thing because they're all very good sellers of ours. Yeah. And, and, of course, there's plenty of hop heads out there. So we have good choices for people that, uh, that want a lot of hop character in their beer. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I like to keep things malty and hoppy at the same time. I like balanced beers, uh, but I like a true – I'm a sucker for it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm a sucker for an ESB, although most people really don't know what that is. It's yeah. not a very popular style. Uh, but if you drink Fuller's ESB once in your life, you will realize what a really, really good beer is. And yeah. that is a tremendous beer. Um, so we make an ESB here uh, called Winston's. And that's just named after my dog. It's yeah. the full name of the beer is Sir Winston's Pale Ale. Yeah. And uh uh, you know, my dog got caught drinking out of a bucket of beer in my in my garage when I was still a home brewer, and yeah. that's that's how that beer got named. That's it's his a, beer, then. Yeah, that's his sense. beer. Yeah. <laughs> that that is his beer. So we have beers on the maltier side, like Winston's. Um, we have a, a beer that I started making a couple of years ago, uh, specifically for uh, Mary Strawn. Okay. Um, who wasn't really drinking my beers. Yeah. I noticed that a lot of different occasions, she would often reach for a wine instead of reach for one of my beers. And so I asked her about it. She told me that, you know, I wasn't really making any beer styles that she liked. Uh, she told me that she really liked an American Amber. So I told her I'd try one. I figured out I've never made an American Amber before, uh, but I made one. She really liked it. So I told her that she got to name it. Yeah. And so it became known as Just Be Nice American Amber Ale. Uh, <laughs> it's a very popular beer here. Yeah. Um, especially with the Walter crowd and anybody that understands the Walter organization, uh, just be nice is one of their core founding principles. 
Um, and just when you think that it's, you know, might be a little too much, uh, understand that the first three core principles are show up, uh, clean up your shit, uh, and just be nice. So that's the first three out, I think of seven or eight, uh, founding core principles for the, for the Walter organization. Um, and so she named it. And, uh, so now it's sort of her beer. It's got her her thumbprint all over it. It's turned out to be a really good beer for us. Yeah. Uh, it's a good seller. Uh, people really like it. Um, and uh, so that's one. Um, Winston's being the other. Uh, the Baja Girl Blonde, <clears throat> excuse me, Baja Girl Blonde is a good beer that we I've been making for years. Um, I was looking for something really light because my thought process when it came to people that don't drink craft beer and how do you get them to drink craft beer is you have to give them a gateway beer, right? It's, you have to give them something, a stepping stone of some sort. And so I always felt like I had to have something that mimicked uh, a mass-produced, you know, macro yeah. uh, beer, but something that had a little bit more of a flavor profile, something that had more character, something that had more something to it. Yeah. Uh, and so I started developing this blonde ale Years and years ago, after, after I got that very first kit and went and bought my first $1,000 of equipment, right? Yeah. <laughs> one of the first beers I started making, was trying to figure out, was a blonde. Yeah. Um, I thought it would be easy. Yeah. Uh, and it's not terribly difficult. And it's not a complex recipe. Um, but one thing you find out with beer is that, as you're, as you're making beer, is that lighter beers um, with less character to them are much more difficult to make than big, bold IPAs. Yeah. You know, big, bold sure. IPA, if something doesn't taste right, you know, just throw more hops in it, you know, sure. who knows, right? Yeah. And I think that's done a lot. Uh, but in a, in a really light beer like a blonde or something like that, there's not a, pl- a lot of places to hide uh, if you're a flaw. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're an off uh, a flavor or something like that. So I started, I started working on that beer years ago. Uh, so Baja Girl Blonde is, is, was the, or is the result of that. Um, it is uh, a, a top seller of ours, and it does exactly what what I always thought it would be. People come uh, in this this yeah. brew pub all the time, and they'll say, "Well, I'm not really sure what I want." You know, and the question we always ask, and what every beer tender always asks, is, "What style of beer do you drink right now?" And of course, they'll say something that's macro, like a Coors Light or a you know something like that. Yeah. And since we don't sell Coors Light, I'll say to them, "Well, how about something that's really light?" easy to drink you know would you try something like that and when you give them that beer and you know you can see it in in, in and it happens in a second you can see they're like oh wow i can drink this i really can drink this yeah you know and so they end up uh ordering that baja girl so it's one of our it's one of our top sellers uh so baja is probably a a flagship beer if if there is such a thing people always ask me what are your flagship beers going to be and i always thought I have no idea. Right, yeah. And I thought, <clears throat> you know, people would look at me like, wow, you have no idea how to plan for anything, do you? And it's like, no, it's not a matter of planning. Ultimately, your flagship beers are going to be what the customers tell you are your flagship beers. Yeah. That's what your flagship beers are going to be. Yep. Now, I brew Winston's ESB. Now, ESB is not a beer that a lot of people like to brew or like to drink rather, but I love that style of beer yeah. and malty English ale. I just think it's fantastic. It's really what beer is all about. Yeah. And so I really like that style. So I continue to brew it, even though it's sort of a mild seller for us, but people that do try it eventually love it. Ah, they just yeah. love it, but they don't know what it is. So they don't order it. Yeah. So anyway, but uh, other ones that we make the OG, as we already talked about a little bit, 
the station session that I kind of made for my wife. Okay. She is a session IPA drinker because she's a hop head, but, uh, uh, she is a small person, okay. you know, <laughs> yeah. in terms of, uh, in terms of her physicality. Um, and, uh, you know, we love to go out to craft beer places or breweries and things like that and drink beer and, and, you know, and I, where I'm a big giant, you know, human being, she is yeah. not, she is a half of what I am or yeah. even probably less than that. And, uh, you know, for her, she likes a big hop character, but she likes super low ABV. So ah. a session, uh, beer of any kind is really built for her. So I developed a, the station session at 4.2%. It's got a 70 IBUs. It's got a, it packs a punch. So if you're looking for hop character, but not a lot of, uh, not a lot of alcohol, yeah. the station session's a really good one. And then we've got one that's kind of weird. Uh, it's called the squincher. Yeah. <clears throat> and the squincher is a mistake. Um, let's just call it what it is right yeah. off the bat. It's really <laughs> what it is. It's just a mistake. <laughs> Uh, it was the very first beer that I had tried to brew. Uh, the beer didn't turn out, but I didn't want to throw it away, so I kept it in a uh, kept it in a in a vessel for a while until I could sort of figure it out. And then I realized I could blend it, um, add a couple of different fruit additions, and what we came up with is a beer called the Squincher. The Squincher got its name because as we moved in here to this now defunct fire station. Uh, Squincher is actually an electrolyte replacement drink, similar uh, to like Gatorade or... I saw you have, you or, have cans of it over yeah, there, right? we do. We still like, have man, cans of it. You're canning the no, Squincher now? <laughs> no, we still... That, that, is the, that is the remnants of, of many, many cases of, uh, of Squincher that were dropped off here at the fire station. I came in one day and found 40 cases of water, uh, 40 cases of Squincher. Okay. <laughs> and I'm looking at this and thinking, how in the heck did this get in here? Well, the city was still furnishing their normal supplies to this fire station, but ah. they were sending it to this defunct fire station instead of the new Station 29, okay. only three or four blocks away. So realizing, of course, they still had the code to yeah. get into the gate. They still yeah. had the code to get inside the building, which yeah. was you know, sort of weird, but okay, fine. Uh, they weren't stealing anything. They were actually dropping stuff off. <laughs> that stuff, yeah. <clears throat> so we ended up with uh, a delivery while I wasn't here. Yeah. And the delivery was, you know, toilet paper and paper towels, uh, bottled water, and squincher. Yeah. And squincher being this sort of um, knockoff Gatorade or knockoff Powerade or something like that. It, it's delivered to every fire station in Phoenix. Um, if you're a Phoenix firefighter, Everybody in the Phoenix Fire Department knows what squincher is. Okay. Believe me, everybody knows what it is. <laughs> yeah. um, there are cases and cases of it in every firehouse in town. Um, I had no idea what it was, so I had to sort of figure out what it was, and it didn't take long. But uh, I tried to call the company that delivered it to give it back, and because I didn't work for the fire department, they couldn't take any direction from me, <laughs> which was sort of weird. Um, I'm trying to give it back. Yeah, yeah, I actually loaded up all of it into my Jeep Wrangler. Yeah. All of it. All yeah. the water, all of the squincher into my Jeep Wrangler in the middle of July or August, and I drove it over to the new Station 29, but the new yeah. Station 29, it sits on the airport, and so oh. it's, it's, it's heavily secure, yeah. or tightly secured. And there's no way to get in there. You can't just walk up to the door and say, hi, this is who I am. I mean, there's like gates with razor wire all around it. So yeah. you can't really get in there. So I took it over there and quickly realized that I was, that was getting me nowhere either. So now I have all this in my, 
in my Jeep, my front tires are barely even touching the ground because I've got so much weight in the back. <laughs> yeah. And so I had to drive it back here and I had to unload it once again after loading it that same day in the August heat. And ultimately, a, a very good friend of ours uh, who is a Phoenix firefighter was able to help me out, <clears throat> get the delivery stopped, and we figured all that out. The end result was I still had a lot of the squincher left. Yeah. And so we donated it a lot uh, as much as we could, um, and, you know, especially the waters and things like that. I would, you know, anybody that came along, especially the homeless or something like that, I would always give out these waters all the time, all the time, all the time. Yeah. And ultimately, it, the, the supply dwindled down. But as we were making this crazy beer, ultimately now called the squincher, as I started to add fruit additions to it, it started to resemble, in its early stages before it matured, it started to resemble that squincher taste. And so yeah. I looked at Luis and said to Luis, hey, you know what we could call this? We call this a squincher. Yeah. So we call it a slightly tart blonde. Yeah. Um, it's a really good seller of ours. Uh, it, uh, it's an odd beer because yeah. when you say tart, everybody's expecting a sour, but it's not sure. a sour. Yeah. It's, it's not a sour by any stretch. It just has a fruit addition to it that gives it sort of a tartness to it, and it's a, and it's a great fruit addition. Yeah. Uh, but what we're doing now, what we're doing now is... Um, um, I'm now I'm, de- I'm in the development stages of more styles of that squincher. So oh, the first nice. one we had was was grapefruit, and we okay. simply call it the squincher. Yeah. And the next one I'm doing I'm working on right now, and it's actually in fermentation, uh, is made with tart cherries. So we're going to call that the tart cherry squincher, right? Yeah. And then we'll we'll work our way down the line from that. So we think that's going to be a, kind of a neat beer for us. Uh, yeah. People really like it. Again, kind of a gateway beer. Somebody that's yeah. looking for something really light and fruity, uh, this is your beer. You will yeah. love it. Again, low in, uh, low in ABV, so it's session. Yeah. Uh, low in calories, so that's all the rage right now. Yeah. Uh, so it's under 120 calories, I think, uh, uh, for a 12-ounce serving. Yeah. So I'm going to even try to get it down to under 100 calories to see if I can, I can make that happen. Yeah, um, nice. It, it's not... Uh, it's not a, an inexpensive beer to make because of all the fruit additions, which are sure. pretty expensive if you use the good stuff. Uh, but it sure is a fun beer with a good story. Well, I remember you telling me when we – and what I'm going to do here, like this is going to be the part for Luke for the writing. So we'll talk more about the squincher. And I'll just kind of cut, cut this down a little bit because this is perfect because he needs more info for the squincher for the book. Um, but uh, – just you were talking about uh it's expensive and it's uh it's hard with the cherries right like the cherries are (laughs) you know cherries don't want to give up their flavor it seems and you know me being sort of uh not sort of but me being a novice brewer um i haven't brewed a lot of fruit beers so i'm sort of learning how to do it and what's the best way to do it um so i'm figuring it out but uh figuring it out but the tart cherries they they don't want to give up their flavor all that easy right now so it's it's just taking longer than i thought (laughs) yeah so so just to backtrack a minute uh it's is the base the baja is the base of that a baja okay 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 Okay. um and then so what about like hops and are the hops pretty minimal are they almost non-existent okay okay almost non-existent gotcha not much at all to talk about um okay just a just a little bit to promote um, a little bit of citrus flavor with some cascade and uh, things like that, but not much at all. Okay, and use a very neutral yeast. Yeah, um, and it works out really really well. Flocks out really well, so it yeah. clears up nicely. So it, it creates a really nice little beer. Okay, and it takes color pretty well too. And then what about the um, uh, uh, malt? Like what is it? The malt pretty basic too. Like a Pilsner malt or something like that. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's not even Pilsner malt. It's oh, okay. basic two row. Um, okay, 
a very small amount, maybe, I mean, in a, in a 10 barrel recipe, I think we've got maybe 450 pounds tops of two okay. row in it. I mean, really yeah. small amount. And that's where you get that low ABV from. Right. That kind of helps. Right. It. Okay. And just okay. a couple of specialty malts, not much at all. And those are under a hundred pounds. So, okay. uh, it's very light recipe. It's, it's yeah. pretty easy to make as far as the beer goes. It's just yeah. a, you know, getting the fruit to work right and getting the right, <laughs> yeah. getting the right volumes of fruit in there really makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, your food guy. So have you cooked with squincher? Would you cook with squincher? What about food pairings? Anything that you can think of? And when we, when we go back to, like I said, I'll, I'll pull this out just for Luke, but, uh, do you guys do anything with the saffron Jack where you pair food or anything like that? You know, we haven't, you know, Jason and James who own saffron Jack, um, we have talked about this a bit. We've only been open for almost four months now. Yeah. So we were really just hoping that, you know, somebody showed up and nobody, and, <laughs> right. and, and nobody got hurt. Right? right. That's really all we were after is, yeah. is, you know, setting the bar super low because, uh, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't willing to make any assumptions about how crowded or packed we were going to be or what was going to happen. So, you know, we lowered the bar as far as our expectations and, and as far as our ambition, uh, to try to just really start off slow and build organically rather than try to put it all together at once. Okay. Uh, I really like that approach because it gives us an opportunity to get feedback along the way instead of just throwing, you know, a menu of 80 items at somebody. Um, what we've done instead is we've started with a small batch of pizzas and a couple of sandwiches. That's yeah. where we've started off with right now. Okay. Gotcha. We're slowly building up. Would I cook with squincher? I don't know if I'd cook with squincher. Um, but it n- makes a nice base if you want to add, um, like, a beer mosa. Okay. Oh, it makes yeah. a great base for that. Yeah. Um, something like that, it works really well. And as far as pairing it up with something, I mean, with the tartness and the sourness to it, uh, I like opposites when it comes to pairing things. So I would, I would pair that a little bit with something salty. Okay. Um, I think anything that had a sort of a salt presence or any seafood or something like that, I think the squincher would just be perfect with. Okay. Gotcha. What about, um, how do you, like, so how would you describe, like, the, the taste profile of this? Uh, not just to a beer person, but somebody brand new. Someone coming in, like you said, that's like, ah, I don't really like The beer. squincher profile? Yeah. Um, I, you know, we, we try to use as few words in our descriptions as possible, which is sure. pretty difficult nowadays <laughs> when people, if you ever look at a menu now, you know, you're... It's, you know, your salt is, you know, Himalayan sea salt and oh, you know, yeah. you've got Burmese, you know, whatever this or that. Um, we try to keep our, our descriptions really small. Um, so we use a, a slightly tart blonde as sort of our basic description of this beer. Um, when we talk about the profile, if we get a little bit more in depth in it, the body is light to be sure. The yeah. malt presence is without the fruit additions. The malt presence is, is absolutely malt forward beer. Okay. Um, but because we brew it so light, even that malt presence is really slim to begin with. But if there is a presence in the beer, it's not hops. Okay. Uh, okay. it's not hops at all. If you look for it, you can probably find a little bit of cascade on your palate. Um, you can maybe find a little bit of that uh, grapefruit essence or a little bit of that hop essence in there. Uh, it would be it would be tough to find, especially after the fruit addition. Okay. Uh, so this beer is really about the fruit and about the balance of the fruit in it. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Beautiful. All right, that's perfect for squincher then. So um, then I'll continue where cut that piece out. Um, so you guys have wine too, not just beer. You have some wine. A we bit do of a have wine, wine selection. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we do. For the people that uh, 
absolutely refuse to drink beer. <laughs> for, the, for the people that refuse to drink beer. You know, I, I got a beer and wine license here because I knew um, that, well, first of all, I don't know anything about wine. Uh, so let's be clear on that, first okay. of all. Uh, I know how to drink it. Um, I know how to overdrink it. Uh, but I really don't know that much about it. Um, we started off with some select wines that we thought were pretty good, uh, working with uh, uh, Laura Mulche. Do you know Laura? Uh, no. Uh-uh. And fantastic. And she has been helpful in getting us a few bottles that we could sell that uh, we thought would appeal to our customers. Um, and so we went through that. We got good reviews on the wines that we were offering for the people that were coming in that were wine drinkers. Yeah. Uh, what we realized is that, uh, you know, not everybody's a beer drinker, but beer drinkers do associate with people that are non-beer drinkers, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> and so they will come in and, you know, instead of them just sitting there drinking water, uh, we wanted to have that, yeah. uh, that option for them. Um, and wine was an obvious choice. So, you know, of course, I went out and, uh, and, and got the beer and wine license. So that would allow us to do that. Yeah. Um, since that time, what we've done is, is worked with Laura a little bit more. And now we've come up with um, a few wines um, that play really well with the name because the, 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 the winery itself is actually owned by a former firefighter. Oh, nice. Okay. So a little gitchy, maybe. And I wouldn't have done it if the wines weren't good enough. I sure. wouldn't have done it just for the name. Turns out that this guy actually makes really good wine. Really? Nice. Uh, yeah. And uh, the rep came in here. Laura brought the rep in here and we had a nice conversation, had a chance to try several of the different wines. Um, they were above a price point that we were used to working with, which sort of scared me a little bit. It caused yeah. me to at least, you know, pause for just a moment thinking, you know, can we sell wine like that out of an old fire station on Washington Street, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in Phoenix, Arizona? <laughs> yeah. um, and you have to ask yourself that question because you can't just make that assumption. And, uh, and, but we took the chance on it. You know, we bought the, this, this, what I would call a little bit more elevated uh, offerings. And okay. uh, so we've come up with uh, three different wines from, uh, from them that just are, I think, are fantastic. Our customers really like them. Uh, and we've gotten really good reviews on them. And you got the, what I see here, Chardonnay, a red blend, and a Pinot Noir. So Yep. Good, Very good simple. Mix. Yeah. Two reds and a white. Uh, yep. We don't get too complicated. Most people that want to drink a white wine tend to gravitate towards a Chardonnay or a Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would have chosen Sauvignon Blanc to begin with because I'm not a Chardonnay drinker. Yeah. Um, this Chardonnay is really nice. It's not a big oak monster like you tend to get out of Chardonnays. Uh, so it, it, it really was appealing to me. So I thought, wow, that's kind of a Chardonnay I could, I could drink. And if it was something that I could drink, I felt that others could as well. Yeah. Uh, there's a red blend on there, which is fantastic. I mean, really, really good. Um, and then the Pinot is, uh, is just a great example of a really well-built Pinot, uh, which I really like. It's one of my favorite styles as a, as a wine drinker when I am drinking wine. So yeah couple of reds and a white super simple but three really good offerings yeah and you can uh you can order food as well you can order food <laughs> saffron jack don't don't forget about saffron jack yeah. they are they are part of what's making us uh successful yeah um <clears throat> you know if you're an aspiring bar owner and you sit at home on tv and you watch uh TV shows like that guy that yells at everybody when they're trying to run a bar. I can't remember the name of it just now. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. like the bar rescue or yeah, whatever. Something kind of, like that. Yeah, something like that. And you watch those types of shows, and it's like you're sitting there thinking about all the things you should do or shouldn't do, you know? Yeah. Um, 
one of the things that uh, that scared the the living daylights out of me was how in the heck am I going to learn how to build and operate a brewery having never worked in a commercial brewery before? How in the heck am I going to learn how to do that yeah. and operate a restaurant at the same time, uh, a kitchen, yeah. Yeah. kitchen employees, kitchen stock, kitchen equipment, yeah. um, everything that has to go along that, health code, you know, you name it. Just start putting those things on paper. You start to get a really long list really fast. Um, it took me a moment to realize that I really needed some help. And one of the first things I thought of was my sister who owns a restaurant in, in Gilbert. <clears throat> and again, I come from this long line of people who like to feed people. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I do have that resource available to me. But uh, Saffron Jack, we had worked with uh, a couple of different times over at the Ponderosa. They had done a couple of events for us. And then my wife, Jennifer, had hired Saffron Jack to be the caterer at my 50th birthday party, which we threw here in this room. Ah, oh, nice. Uh, okay. A few years ago. Yeah. Um, and we actually got uh, the Black Moods to play. If you've ever heard of the Black Moods, no. you just look them up. They're fantastic. So we had Saffron Jack in here um, uh, catering the event in a, in a construction zone, and it was. I mean, yeah. there was yellow tape and exposed nails and concrete <laughs> piles everywhere. Uh, but this is where we had the party, and it turned yeah. out great. Nice. I mean, it turned out absolutely fantastic. And uh, uh, James and Jason uh, Academy are just amazing guys to work with. I mean, they're, they're bright, they're talented, but they have a work ethic that is just unstoppable. I mean, it is unstoppable. Yeah. And so a couple of conversations was really all it took for me to realize that we needed some help in the kitchen, but we needed some really good help because what we didn't want is to put all this effort and all this money Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, towards creating really good beer. And I, and I believe we are making really good beer. Um, do all of that and have sort of a, a kitchen that you're giving 10% of your time to. Yeah. Which means what? You're not going to end up with the greatest product. Might as well so, not have food at that point. Right. <clears throat> right. Like the, yeah. Right. Better have bags of chips at that point than, <laughs> yeah. than stuff come out of the kitchen that nobody really wants to eat. Yeah. So the thought process was simple. It was we need help. Um, uh, Jason and James had uh, already started a program where they were supplying some of their pizzas to a couple of bars around town. Uh, we talked about it. James, or was it Jason? I forget. I think it was Jason floated the idea to me when we started talking about it. I thought it was a great idea. I would build the kitchen. I'd populate it with all the equipment, and they would come in and occupy it and create everything and sort of we would develop a menu that worked well for us, yeah. uh, which is really 90% of what they have already done. I, we, yeah. you know, my contribution to that was really, really small, yeah. except for a very poorly named pizza, which we won't talk about. <laughs> um, but they've done a great job. They've done a great job. And, and it shows because you know, the, the gap between beer and food in, in terms of sales here at the brewery was, was, was pretty big for a while. And now it's starting to close. People are starting to realize that you can get food here, uh, but you can't just get food here. You can get good food here. People that food that people really like, uh, and that goes really well with sitting around in a brewery drinking. It's not pretentious, uh, but it's not just standard pubby grubby. It's elevated pub grub. And especially when you try one of their pizzas and realize, oh, this is why everybody's talking about Saffron Jack. You'll realize really quickly the quality of food is fantastic. And I didn't have to do a thing. <laughs> that's the best part. I didn't have to do a thing. <laughs> you just got the taste. They, they had you yeah, taste. Like that's it. Yeah. I mean, they came in like a, like a hurricane took over and started doing it. And yeah. and we haven't looked back. It's it's nice. such a great relationship. 
that's all. So they operate it at this point. Like they, they operate it and, and you yeah, guys, we're all, we're, it's one company and everything yeah. runs off our own POS. It's all yeah. done seamlessly in the customer's eyes. They don't really even say anything. Yeah. I mean, they know that it's Saffron Jack that's here because we promote it as much as we can. I was going to say, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We want people to know that. Yeah. And, uh, but as far as in, in terms of what the customer sees, it's seamless. They simply order like they normally would and yeah. sometimes don't even know that it's Saffron Jack cooking for them. But, yeah. uh, you know, ultimately the end result is all we're really after. And that's somebody that's really satisfied and happy with what they, why they came here and what they ended up with. Yeah. Well, dude, I, I need to make a trip down here. Both times I've been here, you guys have been, I've been lucky to be let in the door because you guys are closed. <laughs> but I need to come in during operation hours. Well, maybe we've got to close that a, door or lock it or something. <laughs> exactly. It's way too easy to get in that door. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> but um, no, man, you guys are doing awesome stuff here. Um, and, you know, Luis, um, so... so uh, yes, let's Lu- get back to we Luis. We've got to get back to Luis. Like, so how did you connect with Luis? Like, how did that happen? Super simple. Luis is actually a member of the Walter Brewing Club. Okay. And that's how we met. Yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, that's how we developed our friendship. Yeah. Uh, Luis is actually a really good brewer. I mean, yeah. he really is. He's a good brewer. Yeah. Uh, and has come up with some really good beers. Um, but above and beyond all that, if there's one thing everybody will say about the Mexican Kenny Rogers, and that is, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that is what we call him, yeah, is that he's just a super nice guy. Oh, he's awesome. He just, is an yeah. incredibly nice guy. Yep. Um, and and people use that or toss that around too much these days because yeah. not everybody really is. Yeah. But Luis is the genuine article. I mean, yeah. he really is a super guy. Uh, worked for Saddle Mountain for a few years before yeah. I was able to lure him over here. We yeah. had a, a long discussion uh, about that and. Uh, uh, I thought he would be a great addition to this brewery, and uh, and I don't often say this, but I was right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice job on that one. Yeah. I was right. No, he's fantastic. Yeah. And you know, and, and you get Luis, you get the whole family, you get yeah. you get his wife Kim, you get uh, Gabby and Issa, the kids as well. They're in yeah. here all the time, and it's yeah. really fun. That's it's, awesome. It's a fun atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, he's a good guy. He's a great dad. Yeah. Um, and he knows beer, and everybody yeah. knows him. And, and find yeah. me somebody that says something bad about Luis, okay? Because yeah. I'll tell you right now, you're not going to find it. Right. And if you do, that person's an asshole, probably. Right? Probably yes. <laughs> but even an asshole would say, no, no, Luis. Luis is a good guy. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, I worked with Luis uh, several years ago. He's one of my first coworkers at University of Phoenix. So like. 2008 oh that's right that's yeah right. yeah and then like uh so we kind of uh you know he went his direction i went my direction um i think we just got into different departments um and then i can't remember um i think it was saddle mountain i reached out to him like hey you guys want to do a podcast and then someone responded on their social media like hey eric this is Luis herrera I'm like Luis, what the hell are you doing did you hack into saddle mountain? He's like no i work here now <laughs> um but no man he's he's a great guy to have on your team so um yeah, I, I was. Uh, I'm going to get Luis on his own episode one of these days. I don't oh, know if I think he wants be a to. Great idea. I don't know if he wants to, but I think he'd be. I, I think oh, he'd do awesome. Are you kidding me? He loves yeah. to talk. Yeah, he, does. Yeah. he loves to talk. <laughs> That's true. Very true. Well, Jim, dude, this has been great. You guys are doing awesome stuff here. Um, anything else you want to add? Anything else that I missed? I know we covered a lot of stuff. Is there any? No, as you can tell, I don't like to talk about myself much. <laughs> yeah, right. I think we're, you asked if it was going to be three hours. I think we're at like three and a half hours right now. Yeah. No, nah, now nah, you're good. Uh, well, dude, keep up the good work. Uh, walterstation.beer is the website. And then you guys are on Instagram and Facebook at Walter Station Brewery. We right? are. Excellent. And that's brilliant to have it on your, on your menu right there. 
Well, imagine that, right? Look at that. Nice work, man. <laughs> Jim, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for, again, thanks for the interest in Walter, sure. uh, Walter Station. Uh, we're happy when anybody, you know, knocks on our door. We really are. Yeah. Uh, it's why we built the place. We want to be open to everybody. We want people to know about this because we think we built something that everybody would really enjoy. Yeah. You did it, man. Nice cool. work. Keep it up. Four all months right. in. It's it's all uphill from here, right? Or down yeah. here. What's the, what's the good? It's... I said it wouldn't last. <laughs> right, yeah. Excellent. Thanks, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Tap That AZ is part of the Hopped Up Network, which is a network of independent craft beer podcasts. It spans across the country. It's around 30 podcasts on this network uh, at this point. So check them out. HoppedUpNetwork.com. Find some new shows to listen to. Thank you, guys, as always, for your support. Spread the word. Let's spread the word about Tap That AZ. Spread the word about uh, Arizona. Reviews on iTunes really, really help to kind of build up those rankings, get exposure for the show. Tell a friend that's a fan of craft beer or just a fan of, uh, you know, local Arizona stories. So uh, reach out to anyone you know. Let them know what your favorite podcast is in Arizona. Always remember, stay awesome. Cuando se va de casa, triste me pongo.